I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you brought them, to the book of Job. One of the assistant pastors said, so which of the four books are you going to speak from this Sunday? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? I said, neither. I'm going to speak from the book of Job. And he said, Job. You know, Job lived hundreds of years before Jesus came, and yet he speaks more about a living Redeemer and the resurrection than a lot of preachers who will say instead, well, Jesus never really died, but he fainted or swooned, and it looked like a resurrection. Listen to this letter that was written to a local advice column in a newspaper, a Dear Abby type letter. The person writes, Our preacher said that on Easter Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely signed, Bewildered. Dear Bewildered, Beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails (laughs) with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him out in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. (laughs) From an earthly perspective, Job was a loser. He lost everything. He lost his possessions. He was very wealthy. And raiders came in and took what he owned. He lost his children, something that would devastate any parent. He lost his health. We see a picture of Job sitting on a hill, scraping himself with pieces of pottery. He lost his wife, or at least his wife's support, who said after all of these bad things happened, she said, look, curse God and die. Good counsel, isn't it, from your spouse? And then he lost his three friends who, instead of comforting him, actually castigated him because of what was happening. Job lost it all. Yet, after losing it, there's something he gained. He gained insight. He gained perspective. Now, I know that might sound really shallow after losing all of that. But here is a man who, after losing everything in life, still has a firm hope. And that's what I want to show you in Job chapter 19, the 19th chapter of the book of Job. Let's look at a dying man's living hope. It's been said that you can live for about 40 days without food before you die. You could probably survive three days without water, You can go about eight minutes without air, but you can't live at all without hope. So in chapter 19 of Job, in verse 23, let's just listen to how he emotes here and what he says. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another how my heart yearns within me. What Job says He says, I want this recorded forever. I want it inscribed in stone like some 
monument or some uh, written permanent record so that everybody could see it for years to come. Well, here we are today, thousands of years after the death and resurrection of the very one Job spoke of. And Job, though he lost everything, Job had what people long for today, honestly. No matter what you have or don't have, what people really want more than anything else is hope. You say, well, I don't know about that, Skip. I think if you have wealth and you have prominence, you could go a long way without that hope, especially the eternal hope. Richard Dreyfus, the actor, was um, interviewed and he was asked, if you could have one wish, what would you wish for? Now listen to this wealthy, prominent actor respond. Every time I have a birthday, he said, and I blow out the candles, every time I see a shooting star, I wish for the same thing. I wish, I wish for inner security, inner peace. Well, as we look today at Job's hope, notice a few things, would you? Job's hope was in a person. His hope was not in himself. He lost everything. Uh, He was experiencing conditions that were out of his control. He couldn't control the loss of his children, the loss of his health. So his hope wasn't in, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. He was suffering the loss of control in his life. And his hope wasn't in other people because, once again, he lost his children, he lost his wife's support, he lost his friend's support. But here's a guy hanging by a thread expressing hope in someone on the outside looking in, some divine help whom he calls here my Redeemer. And notice how he puts it. He didn't say, I think my Redeemer lives. Boy, I'm sort of counting on... He says, I know it. I know it. Here's a guy whose beliefs are challenged by his experience, and yet, he says, there's some certainty that I have, even in this darkest of moments. Bob Jones Sr. says, never doubt in the darkness what you've been taught in the light. Whatever Job knew when times were good, now it's being tested. And he says, I know. And he says, frankly, that his hope is in a Redeemer. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. The word Redeemer is a cool word. It's a Hebrew word, Gaal or Goel. It's translated a number of ways, rescuer, defeater, vindicator, redeemer, responder, advocate or lawyer, my defender. A goel was typically a relative who would come in when you were in need and rescue you or buy back land that you lost, some inheritance, and buy it back and bring it back to you. And the best example in the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Boaz who takes the wealth that has been lost by a guy named Elimelech and steps in and rescues Ruth and rescues Naomi and brings it all back into the family. Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. Job needs one. He's lost everything. And he speaks in this chapter as though he's going to even lose his life at any moment. But all is not lost. 
he trusts and knows that in the nick of time, this redeemer, this goel, this vindicator, rescuer, is going to step in and help. Now, the greatest example of a redeemer, period, is Jesus Christ. Because he came to redeem the human race. Paul says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is our goel, our rescuer, our advocate. In fact, one of the 700 names for Jesus in the Bible is that he is an advocate. In 1 John chapter 2, if anyone sins, I'll put my hand up, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you have visited England or you are from there, you know that an advocate is a legal term for a defense attorney. When you need help, you call an advocate. Somebody who's going to come in and hopefully rescue you. We need one, by the way. Just as Job needed one because he had these three guys who started out to be his buddies. But they said, Job, you are suffering because you're such a rotten, sinful person. Just like he was being accused by these guys, we are also being accused by someone the Bible calls the accuser of our brethren, who accuses us before God day and night. And that would be Satan himself. The Bible says he accuses you and I. And you know what? He's got a lot of dirt on us. He makes accusation after accusation. i got to say... They're true. He's not an idiot. He's not going to bring up false charges. I think it sort of works like this. As the underworld looks at our life, even if you're a Christian, he'll come before God and say, look at that guy. Look at Skip. Look at, there's your Christian. Look at what he just thought or look at what he just did. In steps our defense attorney, Jesus Christ. And says, hey, dad, based upon my shed blood at the cross, all of those charges, and we both know they're true, are now acquitted. And he is your child. And the gavel goes down, not guilty. Because we have a redeemer, we have an advocate. And look more carefully at that verse. He's not just a redeemer, he's a living redeemer. Job says, I know that my redeemer lives. Now, that's important. What good is a dead redeemer? What good could he ever do? He can't come in and rescue you from any enemy. He can't buy back anything that you lost or restore any inheritance. If he's a dead redeemer, he'll do you no good. has to be a living redeemer. A lot of people will trust in the teachings of some moral dead guy. He didn't live anymore. Oh, but he lived a long time. Listen to what he said. But he's dead. I know that my Redeemer lives. Today is Easter. And for for the initiated, it's pretty obvious why we're here. We're celebrating the fact that our Redeemer is alive. The one who started this whole thing for us didn't just say a few words, spout him off, die, and he's gone. He is still alive. And that's what separates Christianity from every other ism or teaching. And Jesus' death didn't take him off guard. It's not like he was murdered. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. 
I have the power to lay it down and to take it up again. There was an atheist who had a conversation with a little girl. The little girl was actually very profound when the atheist said, Look, a lot of people have claimed to be a Messiah. There have been so many people who have claimed to be God's Messiah. Which one of them are you going to believe? She said, That's easy. I'm going to believe the guy who rose from the dead. I know my Redeemer lives. A Muslim was trying to impress a Christian one time with his logic, and he said, Look, when we Muslims go to Mecca, at least there's a, a casket, a coffin there. To remind us of our prophet's death. You Christians go to Jerusalem, which is your Mecca. You have nothing but an empty tomb. And the Christian responded, that would be the whole point. But how do you know he's alive? It's one thing to claim a resurrection. Any book can say, oh, so-and-so rose from the dead. Well, there's a number of reasons. We don't have time to get into all of them. But one of the obvious is we have historically documented eyewitness testimony from several individuals who saw him alive, some of them sworn skeptics. Even a group of 500 at one time saw him alive from the dead. Josephus, a Jewish historian who had no dog in the hunt, so to speak, as far as Christianity was concerned, wrote in his book, This Jesus rose from the dead. Listen to the words of a British lawyer, Sir Edward Clark. As a lawyer, I've made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. For me, the evidence is conclusive, and over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling as the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only eyewitness accounts, but we have the changed lives of people who were there and what the resurrection meant to them. Again, some of them staunch unbelievers who went from being really bummed out and dejected to really excited because Jesus was alive and they were willing to die for that. Not one, not two, thousands of them. How about you? Do you have a hope and is your hope a living hope or is it past tense? Yeah, I was into that one time. I'm still coming to church on Easter. It's the least I can do, but I'm not really into it like you guys are. Oh, I used to be when I was younger, but now I'm educated. David Bowie was raised in a religious home. I don't know if you knew that. USA Today interviewed him and he said, My interior life has always been one of trying to find a spiritual link. I know that I won't find the answer. And that's all right. The search for certainty is definitely a road to insanity. It's been suggested by various philosophers that the passionate thing to do is to kill God and reinvent Him. Maybe we're in the process of doing that. Here's a guy raised in a uh, an environment that taught him to believe in God and now his conclusion is if I'm going to ever try to have anything for certain I'm going to go nuts. And so maybe the gracious thing to do is kill God and just sort of create him in our image. That's not hope. 
He might have a lot of money and a lot of fame, but that is not hope. And here's Job, a guy who had it all and lost it all. And here on his deathbed, he thinks at least, he says, I have hope in a living Redeemer. So his hope is in a person. And notice something else. His hope isn't just in a person. His hope is a personal hope. Look, at he didn't say, I know a Redeemer lives. I know that my mother and father and grandmother's Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. What would be the use of a generic Redeemer if he's not going to come in and have any relationship with you and rescue you and clean up your life or my life? What good would that do? Before I married my dear wife sitting up here, she was a girl. Oh, look. Look at that girl. She's cute. But now I can say, my girl is cute. There's a difference between look at that girl and look at my girl. Hey, you're looking at my girl. Is there a my in your relationship with the Redeemer? Can you truly say he's my Redeemer who has redeemed me of my sins? Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. Jesus said that to a religious guy who knew a lot about God, but he wasn't my God, my Savior. It wasn't personalized yet. And it has to be, folks. You just got to know there's no two-for-one specials when it comes to redemption. It's not like, well, your mother believed and your grandmother took you to church, so you're in. Paul wrote to young Timothy and he said, look, you have a faith that was first in your grandmother, then in your mother, and I'm persuaded is also in you. It was passed down, but it was still personal. Question, why is that so important? Why is it so important that you would know that your Redeemer lives? I'll give you two quick reasons. It's important, number one, because it provides stability in your life. Truly, it does. Once you know why you're here and where you're going, the rest is like fluff. You get those questions answered. You know that you're redeemed by a redeemer and that he lives. You have a stability in your life. You know why you're here, where you come from. You know where you're going. And if you're not sure of that, you're not going to have joy. You're going to have anxiety. And you should. Frankly, if you don't know why you're here or where you're going, you should feel anxiety. That's a heavy issue. I, I heard about this tombstone, and it was just an, an illustration to me until somebody actually gave me a photograph of the tombstone back on the East Coast, and I have it in my desk. And inscribed on the tombstone, it says, Pause, stranger, as you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Somebody saw that tombstone, and I hear, wrote on some piece of cardboard next to it these words. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) 
You see the difference between instability and stability? Okay, I'm going to die, but where'd you go? Second, it will make you effective. A confident Christian is an effective Christian. A confident believer is an effective believer. You know one of the reasons many Christians don't share their faith with other people is because they're not sure if they have it themselves. They're not really confident themselves. They can't say, I know for certain. It's like, well, I guess. There's no confidence in that. In a world of change, in a world of instability, in a world after 9-11, people love when they see people who are confident and know why they're here and where they're going. And when you meet a person like that, it makes a great impact. I heard about an unbeliever. I mean, he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in Jesus. But he showed up at a meeting where John Wesley was preaching years ago. Somebody knew that unbeliever and said, what are you doing here? This would be like the last place I would expect to see you. And it would be here. What are you doing here? You don't believe anything John Wesley preaches. The man said, you're right. I don't believe, but he does. I don't believe but he does. In other words, Wesley is so confident in what he believes, and I'm attracted to that. I want to see why. Third and finally, his hope is perpetual. His hope is perpetual. His hope is in a person. His hope is personal, and his hope is perpetual. Verse 26, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Now here, Job pierces beyond the grave, goes into the future, and he has great confidence and hope in immortality. Basically saying this, I know that when my body decays after death in the ground, that one day in my body that decays and goes into the ground. In my body, with my own eyes, I'm going to see my Redeemer. How could he believe that? He knows he's going to die. It could, it could only be because he knows there's going to be a resurrection. That's why I say Job, hundreds of years before Christ, believed more in a living Redeemer and a resurrection than a lot of preachers. I know that even if this decay process comes in, even if I die, there's going to be a resurrection and my body will be able to see and view my Redeemer in that glorified state. Now, this is hundreds of years before the gospel was unfurled in all of its glory, before all that was revealed that we know today. This is what it means. There is a hope that will outlive wrinkles. There is a hope that will outlive aches and pains and even death itself. That's the kind of hope that he had. Someday you're going to die. I know that's a news flash. <laughs> the statistics are still the same. Every one out of one so far <laughs> dies. Barring the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in your lifetime... You're going to die, and one day a casket will be brought to the front of a church or someplace, and you'll be in it. And your flesh will decay and corrupt. There was a taxi driver who said, Life is sort of like a taxi cab. 
The meter keeps running whether you're standing still or you're actually going somewhere. And so tick-tock, tick-tock, the clock goes on, and one day we're going to face death. But can you say with Job, I know my Redeemer lives? Can you say with Job, after I die, I will live again? Here is a dying man's living hope. Here's a guy in the most miserable of conditions, and if you've read the book of Job, you know what he faced when he said this. Yet he speaks with such hope. Now, for just a moment, as we close, it's amazing to me as I realize here we are in America, one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Here we are in Southern California, best place to live in the United States of America. Here we are in the O.C. (laughs) in Southern California in the United States of America. And yet, so many people around us here in this place have little or no hope. Now here's Job, a guy who didn't live in the best of situations a couple thousand years ago in a primitive culture, sitting on a dunghill, scraping himself after losing his kids, his wife, his health, and he has hope. Here we are with all of the wealth and entrapments. And did you know, and this is according to statistics, America has the highest per capita boredom rate in the world. And yet we have the most artificial amusements of anybody in the world. We're bored. What's the use? It's hopeless. Here's Job going, I have such hope. I have such confidence. We have a living Redeemer because we have a resurrected Redeemer. A living hope is based on a living Redeemer, and He's a living Redeemer because He's a resurrected Redeemer. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in Me, you will always live. Even if you die, He said, you will always live. A four-year-old, son of an undertaker, was at church one Easter Sunday. And this four-year-old, son of an undertaker, was hearing the resurrection story, and he raised his hand and he goes, Now let me get this straight. You saying that Jesus died and he got up again? Teacher said, that is exactly what I'm saying. He said, well, it's pretty obvious my dad didn't take care of him. (laughs) Because if my dad would have taken care of him, he never would have got up again. (laughs) Of course, the truth is, you couldn't ever under any circumstances, no matter who or what undertaker you are, keep Jesus in that grave. Couldn't do it. Impossible. You've heard the old saying, you can't keep a good man down. Well, you can't keep the God man down. He faced death. He went through it. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He died. And then he conquered death. And that gives us hope. Is he your redeemer? And do you know it? You know it.